Church Happy Seven. It's good uh, to be here, the first Sabbath of the year. There was a time when, uh, when the New Year's will come, people will make resolution, and uh, it looks like this is an old custom. <laughs> it seems to be like less and less people are doing uh, this kind of resolutions, and uh, I think they keep their resolution to make no more resolution. <laughs> the way it goes, but. But I have two. I decided that this year, by God's grace, I will uh, kind of change something in my life that I used to do. I'll share it with you if you don't mind. First, <laughs> I get off Facebook. <laughs> that was my new year. But I'm still in the grace period. You know, you have 14 days, you can change your mind. And. Uh, I'm in about the seventh day, I think, when I uh, decided to close out my account. And when I open it, I kind of had in mind it's going to be a, a means of sharing with people and trying to reach them, invite them to certain events and trying to influence them. But on that point of view, I didn't have that much success. I said it's a waste of time. And second, uh, I'll just go on and waste my time there watching. I had lots of friends and what they would post. And uh, it, I said to myself, no, I mean, sometimes we just go and, you know, say, oh, let's see what some other friends. And it almost becomes addictive and it's almost like a. And uh, I mean, the idea is um, I thought bad and I say, you know, it doesn't really help me, it's just waste my time. Especially what was more offending for me was. <laughs> When I see posts by people that are Christian that are not really biblical, that was something that was kind of, and uh, you know, trying to uh, do something about and write, it's a waste of time because, uh, you know, when you are on the Facebook, you have to see who knows how many posts and you are in a hurry, you cannot really stop and think critically. So even if you post something, it's just, you know, Blowing in the wind, as the gospel, I mean, as the ecclesiastic will say. And uh, so I decided to get up. And uh, I know some of you, you know, go and they spend their time, but you know, it's uh, my own decision for this year. And uh, as far as I, I don't really, I mean, I was. One day I said, oh, let me just do one more time. And actually, they said, you, I had to undo my uh, thinking. So if I go and undo it, I'll go and I say, no, you know, you cannot. I had a friend, he, uh, around Christmas time, he'll go, he spent some time in the vacation. And all day he would post, oh, how nice, warm. He was in an island somewhere in the Indian Ocean. And he would just post, oh, the view from my front window. And then, you know, just every day, the sunset and that. And, and when he was leaving, he put something that uh, he had a view from the airplane. He could take the island. That was beautiful. I say, bye-bye, my little paradise. <laughs> I kind of fell and said to reply to him, hey, you know, this is what this off the world offers. There are nice places where, you know, God offers a paradise and... Uh, the time will not be a problem. Well, there's no time. I mean, uh, it's uh, 
it's one of those media I don't think it's really and um, now it becomes addictive and more addictive and uh, my second resolution is I try to reduce or also refine sugar <laughs> I was traveling to Chicago and uh, somehow all our family got sick except my wife she didn't get sick and um, looking back I say you know uh, why, why was the cause that we all got so sick and I have only one explanation we indulged too much of those sugary stuff and the immune system was gone and and then uh, the thing is I knew it exactly what I was doing you know when they would serve breakfast I looked I mean when I was serving and feel the taste I say, oh this is just this sugary kind of cereal that have more sugar ingredients than anything else I say, hey, don't be that strict. You can indulge your once, uh, you know, once in a while, just indulge yourself. <laughs> and look and behold, I came with the flu, and I, my only explanation is that, you know, I, I uh, lower my uh, uh, immune system and I suffer for. And uh, a few days, two days was very bad. I, mean, I had chills and that, and I said, you know, it's not a wise thing not to <laughs> stick to your kind of, I knew it, and, uh, but, you know, you travel, and those friends, they were Adventists, and I say, you know, I'm not going to create a big mess about, you know, uh, wanted to eat something better and something, but it doesn't pay, and I, I say, no, I'll try to cut it off and not, <laughs> not indulge it anymore, even when I travel or some other, because, you know, one day, it's enough. <laughs> and you suffer. But it's not easy. I, I heard uh, somebody saying a research they did with rats. And they said that they had some rats that it served them cocaine and they became addicted. And also it served them with sugary stuff, high uh, sweet stuff. And then they gave the option to have cocaine or the sugary rich uh, kind of and the rats will choose the, the sugary stuff, they said. So, they, I mean, I don't know. They concluded that uh, the, sweet, the sugary stuff is more addictive than the cocaine, they would say. That's what they did. I mean, I don't know how uh, accurate is their result, but uh, uh, just get, try to get off... Uh, sugary stuff and see how addictive it is and uh, it's a struggle it's not easy but uh, I think we will really enjoy better health if we we'll get all of that stuff and talking about better health I think uh, we can improve on that and, uh, and do some changes so we can the last year we had I heard some young people I mean my age just uh, there are no more and I said you know health is very important and if you don't have it you can really enjoy life if you are still alive but you are not healthy but it takes effort and uh, continuance of doing the right things and uh, I think we can do it by God's, with God's help so this is my kind of introduction for uh, uh, for this new year and uh, 
I think the idea is this one. We can look back and learn from the mistake and try to do good. And of course, the uh, beginning of a new year is a good time to start uh, something afresh. I decided to have a, a sermon about the Three Angels message uh, that um, we are supposed to give it to the world and uh, to look and see what are those Three Angels messages and what, uh, what they mean to us and uh, some lessons from, uh, from those messages. As you know, they are recorded in the book of Revelation, chapter 14. And uh, if you have your Bible, let's, let's start reading them. 14 uh, verses uh, 6 to 13, the three angels' messages. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the, the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So the, these are the three angels' messages, as we know it. Eh? And uh, as you really uh, know, it's, it's only our church has a real understanding of this and is preaching these three angels' messages. So we'll take them and, and see uh, uh, what are those three angels' messages and how uh, and what they, uh, they mean to us. First, it's, uh, it prepared, here is presented an angel having the everlasting gospel. So it starts with an angel that flies in the midst of heaven having an everlasting gospel. And my question is, what is the gospel? Some people say it's the good news. It's, uh, it's basically the, the good news, what's uh, in the Bible. And it tells us about Christ coming to prepare a way of salvation and offering salvation to everyone. And basically this gospel is supposed to preach, to be preached to all the world. To all them that dwell on the earth. 
My question is, is that um, really a work of an angel that is revealed here, or is the work of the church? If you will see and you look, you see that the work of the gospel, even that it might be a, an angel behind, it's given to us humans. We have the privilege of preaching that gospel unto them. It might be in background an angels that do all the work, but the work of really telling others is the humans. God had ordained it that way because in this process we have a part to work with God and also um, when you do that it's going to influence and help you grow and, and become more, uh, more faithful and more like Christ. But let's see what the Bible says about this gospel. And what does really the gospel is. The gospel is clearly revealing the great controversy. Because of Ad, Adam and Eve, when they uh, went against what God said, sin came into the world. And uh, God had um, decided to solve the problem of sin through the gospel. And that's what implied when Christ came and became a human being. And this gospel is, uh, the Bible calls it, is the power of God unto salvation. Let's look at this concept, the gospel being the power of God. Uh, and uh, this concept is presented by, by Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. The gospel being the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1 and verse 16. <coughs> for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. So here, uh, for I am not ashamed to the, of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Here it uses the word of power of God. And if you look at uh, how this word is used, it might mean several things. Sometimes when it talks about the power of God, it, uh, it might refer to his physical power. The universe is held in place by God's power. And, uh, but in this concept, the power of God is referred here to the what the gospel does to people that understand it and accept the gospel. And uh, if you want to look more into it, there are a few Bible verses that clearly uh, describes here this power of the gospel in the sense that it saves people and transforms them. And it's the knowledge about what God did through Jesus Christ when he uh, became uh, the substitute and he died for us. Uh, okay, let's look at another Bible verse that really de uh, describes very well about this concept about the power of God being the gospel. In the Habakkuk uh, chapter 3, it talks here about, uh, in verse 4, 
about the Savior that will come. Habakkuk uh, chapter 3 and verse 4. Let's read actually the, the, the beginning of the, of the chapter all the way to verse 4. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Saignat. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years made known, in wrath remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. So God came from, and the Holy One, referring to Jesus Christ, Selah. His glory covered the, uh, the heavens, and the world was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. So here it describes he had horns coming out of his hand. And there was the hiding of his power. It might be referring to the, uh, the signs of the crucifixion that Jesus had. And the Bible says that there was the hiding of his power. And I think that's what the Bible describes. The, the power of God unto salvation. And is the work of the gospel. Presenting how God deals with the problem of sin. And actually this is what this power we have to experience in our life. And will change us from uh, being rebellious against God, of uh, being transformed and obeying Him. I like to look here how how this power is kind of expressed. You know, when uh, Satan rebelled against God, he challenged God's government and said, "Oh, you know, His law is kind of restricting our freedom and our happiness. If we will be more free." we will enjoy life better. And uh, basically, uh, in a way, said, God, uh, I mean, Satan challenged God's government. That is not fair. It restricts our happiness and freedom and so forth. And sadly, uh, you know, he came with his lies and Adam and Eve uh, accepted those. And through disobedience, sin came into the world. And you know, sin is uh, when you break God's law and uh, you transgress it. And God, I mean, Satan knew that God is perfect in justice. He had to punish disobedience and sin. But that was the problem that God solved it through the gospel. How could God forgive us and not overlook his justice? And that's what he did through Jesus Christ. And, and basically, this is the, the gospel that is pre presenting how God solved the problem. Without punishing, actually, by taking punishment about, about on himself, he found a way to forgive uh, whoever accepts his offer of forgiveness. And that's what the gospel presents to everyone. And basically this knowledge about how God deals with, with the sin will transform people willingly. You know, when people really understand what Christ did when he died on Calvary, 
they are changed and they choose to obey God and, and do. And this choice is based on knowing about uh, God and what he did through Jesus Christ. And this is a, a choice that we made without God forcing upon us. It's just uh, understanding his character and his love. And basically that's what uh, his government is based on this choice. And uh, uh, understanding that God's requirements are for our happiness and actually uh, God's law is the law of freedom. And it, it does not restrain our, our freedom by, by uh, the opposite. God's law guarantees our freedom. And uh, the Bible calls is the perfect law of freedom. You know, uh, we look at and uh, everybody is looking for freedom. And we want to have freedom. And uh, in America there was some concern that now we have less freedom. And there are many hopes about the new administration changing and that we will have more freedom. But uh, the sad part is... Uh, Many do not understand what freedom is. And uh, they expect the government to do more and bring more freedom. But uh, the government doesn't really can do that much for, uh, for freedom. It just can uh, protect people. And uh, it can just uh, punish the people that kind of breaks the freedom or uh, do something evil. That's what the problem is with the government. Because the government cannot do too many good things. Cannot change people that are immoral. <laughs> it just can't punish them. But uh, to change them is the work of the gospel. And that's what uh, I have a problem. You know, many times on Facebook you will see people will talking about how sad is the situation in the schools. You know, and they, some people I saw post said, Oh, you know, we took God out of schools. <laughs> Because we kind of forbid prayer in schools. We forbid about talking in that and that. And we expect God to bless our schools. <laughs> we have to put God back in schools and then. How many have seen this, so this kind of post? Huh? Okay. Did you click there? Okay. Did you give okay there? That's the solution. <laughs> I mean, when you look at, at the surface, it sounds good, everything. But first of it is, uh, you know, from understanding, uh, you know, the history of our church, and actually, if you look at the, the what brought, what kind of uh, brought America, was freedom of uh, of worship, and the government has to do has nothing to do with religion. That was the the main uh, principles that kind of established America. So there should be separation between government. The government should do, have nothing to do with religion, God. That was the main principles of, uh, you know, of the, is the first amendment. <clears throat> so in a way, the government cannot say there is God or not. It's not the job of the government. So basically, when you have a school that is run by the government, you cannot expect the, God, the government to come and tell you about God. Actually, there were some there were some efforts in the beginning of acknowledging God somehow. Some people were pushing, but the Adventists resisted. They said, "No, no, 
No, we don't have. Actually, they want just to enlist in the Constitution that America is a Christian nation. <laughs> the Bible is the word of God. <laughs> and Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. And the Adventists say, no, 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 no. No, it's not the job of the government. And I, I agree it's not. Because if the government steps in, then they will uh, use the power of the sword, and then they will punish people that go against it. And, uh, and basically, so, my idea is this one. The government is supposed to be secular. It's just uh, the business between people. They cannot do anything about your relationship with, between you and God. It's better off that way. And uh, so basically, um, it's the gospel and the church work to uh, help you with the relations between uh, you and God. But the state, no, and the government, not. But now there are many voices that say, oh, you know, we have to get and put God back in the schools. <laughs> My question is this one, you know, what kind of God do you serve, you know? They say the government took God, the government took God out of school. The government cannot do that if you look honestly. How can government take, you know, because it doesn't let you pray. You cannot pray loud, but you can pray in your mind. You know, the government cannot stop that. And you don't need a loud, you know. The, oh, the, the government doesn't allow you to read your Bible. Let's go. <laughs> hey, you can think about Bible, you know, you memorize something. So the government cannot really uh, stop you from, you know, and... Uh, the only thing is now the reverse is that oh we have to get the power of the government and, and use the power and uh, and we know what will happen and uh, they will use try to enforce they will try to enforce religion on people and that's not going to work but uh, the three hundred message it tells us to do you know that that uh, I mean if you look at the gospel. God does not use power to convert people. He appeals to, to, to people. He convinces them and shows them, but he doesn't really force people. So with God's spirit, he works and appeals to people. And uh, that's what we have to learn. And that's why everything the church does, he cannot really use power either. We tell people hey, this is right, this is wrong, but we cannot really. I mean, we can discipline them and tell them, you know, this is not so, but you cannot force it on people. But talking about this, the power of, uh, of, of God being the gospel, um, this is what uh, we are called to do. And the first angel's message is uh, that this uh, uh, gospel will be preaching to, to all people. And this is uh, the work that uh, it's entrusted to human beings. And it's not necessarily just to the preacher, but I think everyone has a part to do it. So my question is, uh, are we doing something and are we doing our own part to preach this gospel? Uh, because it has to reach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. And uh, I think everyone is called and has the privilege of doing that. And uh, 
is not necessarily just by preaching, by the way we live and show and prove. The next thing is fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And we know this is, uh, is clearly preached only by our church, because we have the clear understanding of when the judgment has started. We can prove it with a prophecy that it's all uh, is true. And um, we live now in the time when the judgment of God is taking place. And when it's going to be finished, will be finished. And it's uh, what we call the investigative judgment. And uh, if you think about, you know, it's not necessarily a pleasant message. When you are called to judgment, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's kind of a fearful thing because, you know, what if you're going to find, be found guilty? I, went, I had a few times to go to, before a judge. <laughs> it was just traffic violation thing. Uh, and... Uh, but I know I, I kind of said, okay, I have to make sure I prove my innocence. <laughs> and all, you know, but I still hope, you know, the judge, that the judge will be fair. <laughs> Recently, I just heard about uh, some people I work with that they were under FBI investigation and uh, they, they were found guilty and they were thrown in jail. And I thought to myself, oh, they were nice people. And actually, they were nice people. The only thing is, uh, we were working for the, the government, and the government was kind of giving the money, and uh, it seemed to be like that they used the, and they take some money, they gave some money to the person in charge of giving the work, and uh, there were some money that were kind of unfair. And... Uh, in a way, one of the customers I knew, I, I worked with him, he was a roofer, and he just did some work for the person in charge, just uh, like a thank you, kind of, and he was found guilty. <laughs> uh, because, in a way, you know, they try to look and they cannot really judge the motives of people, but uh, in a way, they say he the person in charge that worked for the government, they said he abused power, and uh, the other one was giving money to get something that maybe otherwise he shouldn't get. And honestly, now <laughs> I was close to be guilty of that because uh, <laughs> I was getting some work from an inspector in the city. And many times he would say, ah, you know, I gave you so much work. He, he would say, maybe you should take me out to, to dinner. <laughs> in a way, it should, uh, you know, give him some rest or something. And some people said, yeah, he's right, you know. You should show your, you know, uh, uh, appreciation and buy him a gift card or something. And now talking with some of us, in a way I said, yeah, but uh, in a way I kind of felt I don't give this to get work for him because, you know, he's just uh, needs some work. And ask me, or I gave him a prize and he sent me. And... Uh, it's good I, I did not give him the money and buy because now, now I know I could find guilty and throw in jail. I mean, this when you do it in a in a worldly business way, you know, if you have a contractor that gave you work, sometimes uh, in a world they say you have to pay him about ten percent of the work because he you got his work through him. So in a 
business way, it's okay. But you know, when you do it with the government stuff, it's not okay to get somebody else. But the thing is, uh, you know, when you're under investigation, you have to go to the to court. is not really pleasant. But talking about God's judgment and the message about the, the hour of His judgment is. We know that this is a, it's a solemn thought, you know, that God will ask everybody to give an account about their lives. And in a way, when you are not converted, it's a fearful thought that you have to give an answer to God. But the idea is... Uh, Basically, this is uh, an account about how you responded to Jesus Christ. And that's what the judgment is all about. We are kind of born in this world, and we are sinful, and we have evil tendencies and so forth. But the idea is, uh, what did we do with Jesus Christ and what he offers us? Actually, this is what the judgment will reveal. I was talking with somebody, say, oh, you know, when I'll be in judgment, in the judgment, <laughs> I'll just go and say, hey, this is how I am, who I am, and that's it. <laughs> but the idea is uh, it's not necessarily who you are, but what God can help you become. Basically, that's what uh, Jesus said in, uh, in John chapter 3, about the condemnation and why people will be condemned in, in the judgment. Not necessarily because... They are born that way, but it's because they choose to remain that way. Uh, if you have your Bible, let's look in John chapter 3. And uh, let's read the verses 17 to 19. That So we have a clear understanding about what the judgment will be. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So basically here is what Christ said, that the condemnation is that Christ came and people rejected him. That will be the, the things they will have to answer in the judgment. Not necessarily because you are a sinner, but because you refuse the solution to your sinfulness, and that's Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is about, and that's what the judgment will reveal. Uh, the people that uh, accepted uh, the offer that Christ had to give. Okay, let's look uh, fast at two, the two others messages of the three angels. And, the, and, the, and there follow another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That's great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Here is described a system of religion that teaches things that are not biblical. And we know we have this work of kind of uh, calling people and pointing and calling them out of Babylon. 
ensuring that Babylon is fallen. And this is applied to all the Bible, all the churches that teaches unbiblical truths, and we have to go and call people out. And of course, the third angel, which is the most serious one, we have to call and tell people about worshiping the beast and his image. And uh, that if they receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. And this has to do with, uh, we have to tell people who this, uh, the beast is, who is his image, and what the mark of the beast is. We know that the beast is the Roman Catholicism, the system. The image is the fallen uh, apostate churches. And the mark is, uh, is the Sunday keeping. And we have to point people there. You know, it doesn't have any biblical support. It's all based on tradition. And uh, with God, it's, it's in vain to worship God. But I like here to look in the end about uh, the... The condition of the people that will kind of uh, sur uh, survive all this time and will be faithful. And here are verse 12. He said, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The patience of the saints. Do we have that? Are we in that point? I like to look at some Bible verse and say about, that talks about patience. First of all, we have to be careful about how you get that patience. Uh, if you pray for patience, somebody was laughing, you pray for trouble. No? Because tribulation works patience. That's what the Bible says in Romans 5. So we have to pray for the power to go through tribulation. We don't need to pray for more tribulations. And then uh, we have to pray that uh, in all this tribulation we will have patience and God will help us. But here is what Christ says about the need of patience. And you know when he talks about the signs of the times in Matthew chapter 24, there's something about that he says about uh, the need of endurance. And patience, it, it might mean long endurance under trial. And here is what Christ said about our need in these end times. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So we have to endure unto the end. And here is what Christ kind of, and they shall many be offended. And shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets and, uh, shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be, the same shall be saved. So here is my question. Do we have that kind of endurance? If we really uh, know God and we understand His power through the gospel, uh, I hope uh, we will be endurant to the end. The next one is Mark 13:13, 13, 13. and here is what Christ says about all the trouble in the end time. And he shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, 
the same shall be saved. And here in the, in the few verses, uh, Christ describes that in the family, uh, brother will be against brother, father against son, children against parents. And, uh, and of course, the said, here is what the verse says, but, and he shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Here is a, a sober thought about all men shall hate us. Some of us think, oh, maybe there will be somebody in the family that will not hate me. If there is going to be somebody that does not hate you, it's going to be on your side. But all on the other side shall hate you. Christ clearly says here, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Of course, it's not a, a nice thought, but uh, Christ is very honest and tells us exactly what we should expect. So we shouldn't look to be kind of popular. <laughs> Clearly, the Bible says we know that we are not going to be in a majority. And here, uh, Christ says that uh, we are going to be hated by all men. My prayer and my hope is that... Uh, we will experience the power of the gospel. We will be changed. And our hearts will be won by God. And uh, we will endure in these times of trial in the end time. Amen.